how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed and welcome to the panel discussion regarding how we might shift the clubbing and dance music community into a culture of consent. My name is Louisa, and beside me in virtual space is my <laughs> um, co-moderator and co-host of our podcast, Sober Sex, Rose Romain. Rose is a creative and recovery coach who's part of the Music Industry Therapist and Coaches Collective. And this is Louisa, who is known as the queen of French techno, co-founder of the label Raw, and general enthusiast and advocate about this stuff. And joining us today, we have a Zoom room full of fabulous people. We have Rebecca, who is one of the world's leading techno DJs and producer, the founder of the hashtag for the music campaign and the person spearheading the Me Too music campaign. Welcome, Rebecca. And we have Lewis G. Burton. Lewis G. Burton is an internationally renowned DJ, performance artist, curator, and activist. They have been at the forefront of London's underground queer scene for nearly 10 years, nurturing the next generation of trans revolutionaries, queer techno goths, club kids, and drag queens. They are the founder and matriarch of Inferno, a queer rave com- contemporary art platform and community space. Welcome, Lewis. <laughs> this is like Hollywood Squares. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Sital Panasar, who is a psychotherapist specializing in mental health and well-being for creatives. She is the founder of Music of Therapy, an organization aimed to improve mental health support for musicians and creatives of color. And we have Perrine Lafrecheur, is an internationally known French DJ, producer, and performer based in Barcelona. She's resident at the legendary Berlin fetish party, Gajan, and staple behind the decks at queer parties around the world, in addition to being an outspoken intersectional feminist activist. Last but not least, the glorious Stephen Brains, founder of the revolutionary party music slash clothing label, he, she, they, boss of artist management agency, the weird and the wonderful, hellbent on creating a place without prejudice for people to be people. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we wanted to start the panel by discussing some of the definitions around this, which we, um, we're using, which might be helpful to de- demystify for those of you who are unfamiliar with the terms. And we just want to say that um, on the outset that we've only got an hour to discuss this. So if some of this feels a bit vague or rushed through, um, we're just trying to be as succinct as possible. This is by no means a specific definition. The conversation can be endless and go beyond the Zoom room, we do hope. This is but a seed. <laughs> yes. So firstly, we're talking about rape culture. What is that, Lou? So rape culture is, I googled the definitions for these words, a society or environment whose prevailing societal attitudes have the effect of normalizing or trivializing sexual assault and abuse. Right. And consent culture. 
A consent culture is a culture which normalizes the action of asking for consent and respecting whatever responses are given. It affirms that each individual has bodily autonomy and it maintains boundaries. So a person gets to choose what their boundaries are as opposed to kind of boundaries being placed upon them from the outside. Okay. It should be respected unconditionally. <laughs> cancel culture. Uh, cancel culture or call out culture is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles whether it be online or social media or in person because of their behavior. Thank you for those definitions. So firstly, let's perhaps discuss the problem at hand. I'm curious to know what have been your personal experiences or experiences you've witnessed within your community surrounding rape culture within the industry. What does that look like or feel like to you guys? So just jump in. No one, uh, I, I didn't want to start because it, I'm not the, Firsthand and not probably the not the 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 biggest uh, um, witness uh, of this, but I, I but since no one's jumping, I'm going to go for it. Saying that one of the things that I often take some time to witness and make sure of when I come out of a club, whether a club I danced at or a club I worked and played uh, at, is when I see a person being inebriated or feeling like they're a little loose, and a friend is helping them, or a person is seems to be helping them walking away. I often like take a moment and not just like this, because someone has their, their arms around their shoulder doesn't mean it's a friend. And it happens often that I just like take a moment and I stay on the sidewalk and I try to assess, which is hard because we also know that a lot of uh, most victims of rape are actually from a person that they know. So just the fact that it's familiar doesn't mean it's safe, but it, it has happened a lot to me that I would take a moment before getting in a taxi or something to just like check and be like, hold on, I'm not sure this person's safe and wait until I have some sort of feeling, which once again, that's the hard part is how, so this feeling, how do you, do you trust your instinct on how you can protect someone? So I haven't in my career or life been a witness of a sure fact that you can stamp, but I have many, many times felt like I had to keep an eye on uh, a sibling or a sister, particularly when it came to coming out of a club. Awesome. It seems like that's a really kind of prevalent example of like ways in which we can totally look out for each other and keep each other safe. Just like take that much time to check in and, and make sure. But I, I know for me, like that's not the first thing I'm thinking of when I come out of the club. So it's a, a really good reminder. I think for I me, mean, oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Um, I think for me, just even before that point, going into clubs and, and just being, you know, someone enjoying the music and dancing and expressing, um, perhaps uh, expressing through my body what I'm feeling through the music, where they be sexual lyrics, for instance, and my expression of my own sexuality, that fit, it, at times it's felt as if that is a calling or permission for people to touch me, to rub up against me, to, um, make me feel uncomfortable in my own expression. And I think that there's a real difference in that, in an invitation for that and an expression of your own kind of feelings and embodiment of music and um, energy. And I think that for me is something that, you know, is an issue and is constantly an issue. How can you feel safe to express in a space where that can be perceived as a, as an invite when it isn't. 
I mean, I experienced a very similar thing to that. So I think as a queer person, like I can be quite dressed up sometimes. And then people feel entitled to my body because of the way I, I'm dressed. And because I'm in a nightclub space and whether that's groping or, you know, rubbing up against me or grabbing or, you know, it's just too much. And I think like, you know, I don't know how we could move forward from these things. I think it happens to me more by straight people in queer spaces than it does from other members of the queer community in these spaces. So I think we need to like look at the bigger picture and like who are the perpetrators of doing this. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But saying that though, I still, I, I still definitely think there's a problem with with women on women and men on men and and trans people on on cis people and cis people and trans people. It's it's in all directions. So I think that's also like a really important thing that every single person has to be culpable for their own actions in those spaces because it's a it's an it's an odd one. But I, I I've spoken to Louisa and Rose about this. In fetish clubs and sex spaces, normally the rules are far more defined on what is or isn't acceptable. So, oddly, where lots of people think, oh, it's a fetish club, everyone will be touching everyone, like, da-da-da. It's not. It's far more respected boundaries because it's a very clear, that's fine, that's not fine, you will be ejected if you don't meet the house rules. Whereas you kind of normal kind of, uh, as it were, like, disco not even within techno and house but just in general like most spaces don't have clear house rules most techno and house parties don't have clear rules on touching so i think we could borrow and learn a lot from spaces that like i guess in a fetish or a sexual space people know that sexual activity might happen so therefore it overtly caters for that with some kind of guideline whereas almost in the techno and house ones it's not discussed or it's kind of like it's just not um what's the word no one's tackling the the possibility of that so there's no clear um, delineation or definitions because i think as well a lot a lot of times like the intention might be like oh i was just being playful or i was just this or i was just it was a compliment and it's like if the reception wasn't how the thing was intended it doesn't actually really matter what the intention was um, so there's some of the other things I know I've just kind of said a lot of things there but I think they're one of the interesting things that maybe with the techno and house space that we can actually learn from uh, the fetish scene and things w- with, with clearer guidelines of what is or isn't acceptable Right now it's not even a consider- in consideration is it? Right. I think um, that's, that is part of the plan it has to be it's like taking part of the fetish um you know the fetish scene and the gay club scene and the rules and the regulations and the you know the minute you queue up in line there's like posters like stating the house rules and it we've just got to take that into the mainstream and it and it's i think they're going to be more open to it now because so much like so many cases of abuse have come out now and it's just like it's so hard to ignore this now so I really think that um I think now is really the time to start presenting this these ideologies to the mainstream it's got to go into the commercial clubs and that's almost like when you have these things um like Steve said it's like um it's basically a deterrent 
So people will think twice about, you know, being a little bit more hands-on or, you know, if perpetrators are operating in that area, they will be more like threatened to, to not do it basically, or to maybe go somewhere else. So I think the deterrent is, is there. That's a really good starting point. And then what you said earlier about, you know, keeping an eye on, um, on, on our community, you know, like myself and Louisa are sober. So, <laughs> they, you know, I'm completely awake when I'm out and DJing. So it's really easy for me to look around and be observant of this behavior that's happening around me. So as a community, we've all got to pull together because and, and everyone has to see it as a community to make the change, I think, as well. So. That that reminds me, maybe, I don't know, because I, I know you have a, a, a guideline of, oh, not a guideline, but like a, a, run, a rundown of, of the questions. So maybe we can talk about it later. I don't know. But I, I, I just because bouncing back on what Rebecca said about when you are sober and working and on a platform and you get to see the entire crowd, we get to see much more of the crowd dynamic that's happening. And and I and I know that uh, in the in the one in the question of like, what could we do? Um, I would I would I would love to somehow um, that the DJ could possibly uh, even though it's not our job to police but it's everyone's job to police but say I, it, a few times it happened to me in a club that for example I was playing and someone would um, scream lesbian or faggot at me we're talking about another issue homophobia but still it's the question is that often or someone like threw a, 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 a glass in my head when I was playing and the question that in those three uh, instances happened to me is can I stop the music right now and ask that you know those person be escorted out or like or you know can I put the pressure can I take the responsibility to just stop and like ask for security say someone's homophobic there someone's uh, is is not acting properly and therefore we could put this into if from my platform I tend I see something happening in a corner that feel is not right can I take this this or is it something that's going to end up being punishing me later when you know in the in the in the the rumor goes around and people are like, oh, La Fréchère, you can't book her. She can at, at any time decide to stop the, the DJ set and just like, and, and, you know, that can go back to you. Like, I think there's a lot to, to I'm, I know I'm jumping a little forward, but because I wanted to bounce back on what you said, Rebecca, which is we tend to see a lot more from our platform than when you're within the crowd. And I think maybe this is a spot that if we could, the entire industry could agree that if something that's bigger than the moment and that's bigger than the fucking DJ's career and that's bigger than everything we can all decide that what matters is a person's safety then we can just like well sorry I'm gonna break everybody's mood but we need to attend something right now thing with that as well though is I'm just that what came to mind is that when we see the people responsible for our safety perhaps in the in the club communities I'm thinking of you know security and the staff as well when there there is an um there is um, an air of complicity, complicity that they might have in their attitudes to consent culture and rape culture and kind of overseeing it. You know, I'm not, I, I, can, I, can, I can think of plenty of times where I felt unsafe with security, like going into a club. So then, then where did that leave us? If I may, I'm just, well, this is for example, because I'm a, I'm a resident at the Berlin party Gegen, which is a fetish and queer party that's been happening for 10 years. 
And one of the elements that I think we could really brought from this party to the mainstream is that there is at any time, there's some mediator that are physically recognizable with a yellow jacket. And so if anyone has any issue with a, a situation around them, they can go and pick those people to talk. And those people are trained to intervene in the situation because it's always hard when you're a victim or a witness of something, you don't know who to go. You can go see the security, but as you say, they don't necessarily make you feel comfortable because they can be upholding this, this, this culture. Or you can go to the bar staff, but the bar staff is busy doing something else and doesn't know what to do. And it, or the coach check. People are not not there for this. Yeah. And at Gigan, we constantly have several people at specific spots, so you know where they are at any time. Plus others that are working around, so that if anything happens, you know who to talk to, and you know you'll have a, a warm shoulder to talk to, and someone with a good ear, and someone who knows how to figure out how to talk this through. And I think applying this into the mainstream club scene would be a great, uh, great asset to, to help because uh, specifically there's a lot of clubs uh, around the world where security is at the door. They don't think about the fact that the, the danger can come from inside. They see it as like, we're gonna keep people disturbers from outside. And once we'll filter it, inside is gonna be fine as if inside was n not a possibly an issue. So I, I think security inside and people dedicated with the training, emotional and psychological training for this would be a very important step. I think that's a really good point. I think security in most spaces are charged with stopping violence rather than like sexual violence or harassment of people and things like that. It's very much more like, yeah, at the, do at the door check to make sure there's not drugs or whatever. And then yeah, like they're there to break up a fight if a fight develops. Where actually for a lot of people, that isn't where the main danger lies. And, uh, and like you say, there's a lot of people who, <clears throat> there's not always a lot of um, female or, or trans or non-binary people to approach because you might not want to approach this big burly man about something. You might feel intimidated, might be triggering. So we've, um, with Hishi there, we go and do like security briefings with staff and we've started having helper badges. I actually think, is it because we're constantly learning, I think maybe wearing the high visibility, high visibility jackets and having people stationed in places would actually be useful. So, you know, see, like, just because I'm on a panel doesn't mean I'm like, like, I know everything. We're in a constant state of learning. I've learned a lot from Lewis and, and, and people, because, um, I mean, Lewis, do, do you want to say some of the things happening, like Pussy Palace and things? Cause yeah, I work for yeah, I work for a collective in London called Pussy Palace, and we have these people called Badge Bitches who they wear pink high-vis jackets, and there's a team of 10 to 15 of them. Then you have these lovely Pussy Palace badges on as well, so you recognise them, because then there's the 10 of us who's the core team as well will wear them, so we're visible. So on a dance floor of 600, 700 people, we have 25 eyes there, like looking out for people, if people feel uncomfortable or too drunk or whatever, and can go to these people and seek help, because I think there is a massive problem with security and people who work in venues who are not trained properly to give care to people on a very basic level and i think that's something that we need to change within the industry and like maybe there's something we can do where we subsidize having more eyes on the dance floor from both as a promoter and then as a venue and we come together and work together to create safer spaces for people to to enjoy the, themselves in you know and I, I loved what you said earlier on about being a DJ and overseeing everything and stopping the fucking music. Like, we should stop the fucking music if there's somebody there. There's, there's, they're ruining somebody's night. And, like, if we have power, we should use that. And I think 
there are so many things we can implement and but we need to have these conversations we need to make sure security is being trained properly because it should start at the door and what rebecca was saying about posters there should be posters or manifestos in like in the queuing line in the smoking areas in the bathrooms on the dance floor like these should be visible where we talk about things like consent and we talk about like what to do if you're being harassed you know and this is how we can move forward from this and perhaps even as an uh, as artists and DJs, um, that be a requirement when you perform. You know, if you're booked for a venue, then actually that be part of the. You know, apart from the fee and all of this, that and the other, can you make sure that there's extra specific security based on these specifications, um, and that a way to kind of introduce that and think oh right okay that's accountability that's that's actually a really good idea that it would be in the tech writer uh and not and not have in in the decade in the education of the club owners promoters uh and, and logistics people from the moment they read the writer they think about that then whether or not they'll comply and have it that's all the issue but at least yeah it will it will spark the conversation beforehand and not after an accident accident happened where whenever there's an incident, I write to the club promoter and, and the long email, but it's past, it's after the, it's after the fact. And I think that's a very, very smart idea, actually. Yeah, we kind of like my, my agent and myself, we're trying to um, work it into like the contract. So we have a clause in the contract. Um, this isn't my idea. I think it was uh, two of the other ambassadors' ideas. And you they when they sign the contract to book you then they have to comply to this and what we was also thinking is for the clubs that may not be that savvy with this kind of stuff we would already have a template of what those posters look like that they could literally download or you know redesign it in in you know add their logo and stuff so it'd be really good to sort of maybe share this with all the other agencies and the djs and like try and get a lot of the mainstream bigger artists on board at least to to kind of use their power for good for once and if they if they you know in a tech rider if you know the bigger artists want like this a specific bottle of whiskey I don't think it's going to be that much harder than getting like a bottle of whiskey or printing a poster duplicating it and putting it around the venue it's not going to take that long so and if there's resistance and then wanting to include that in their rider, then that poses some bigger questions for themselves. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and from a promoter point of view, I mean, I, I get sometimes people don't really know what to do, but if you're giving them the tools, there's literally no excuse. I yeah. mean, like, and like you exactly. say, like, why the fuck what you, you don't want to put a poster up saying about consent? I, I think, I think, yeah, that, that opens up a whole can of worms. I, and I also think as well, we're talking about probably more intimate spaces at the moment where people can oversee, but we also need provision for like festivals and, and all those things. Cause one of the things is bystander uh, diffusion of responsibility where everyone thinks it's someone else's kind of responsibility to look, Oh no, it's fine. Well, their friend will look after them or this person will, or, or there's so many people. It's like, just because there's a lot of people, I think you still need to always take having that responsibility seriously and festivals in particular where it is much easier to disappear into a crowd or be taken to a space I think they really really need to have those booths and things and, and very easy ways to report and safe spaces because I think festivals are quite woeful at doing that to be honest like um, what we're doing with Pussy Pals as well we've, we have this space called the Sanctuary 
which is like a space for women, non-binary and trans people to go away from the hustle and bustle of the festival. If they need respite, if they've lost their friends, you know, they're a bit drunk or we do workshops throughout the day around consent, around gender and sexuality, around, you know, by, by creating space spaces and there's kettle there so you can make a cup of tea. And I think it's important to like have these spaces in, in festivals, definitely, because that's very much the same thing as like being in the club space. And I know that these, started to try and implement that in the nightclub as well. So there's a sober space or a sober room within an event, like a nightclub that will only serve soft drinks and you can go away from the loud music and you can just take some time for yourself. And also it's very inclusive as well because it, it, you know, people who have maybe have get overwhelmed by all of these loud noises all the time, gives them respite and a chance to go away and actually enjoy a night out as well. That's so beautiful. <laughs> you guys, I love, I'm so excited by all of this enthusiasm and like such brilliant ideas um, in terms of kind of how to, not only what the problems are, but what potential solutions are. And that like so many of us are already kind of enacting them and living them from the industry down, you know, like top to, into the kind of fan space. And I was wondering, you know, I feel like one issue with when we, when we talk about kind of rape culture within this industry, I think a lot of people Mis mistake that for being sex negative. And I was wondering if we could kind of discuss um, what the difference is between um, being anti-rape culture and pro-consent culture and being sex negative. Because I mean, we well, are I, going I, to dens of, <laughs> well, well, dens well, of wickedness yeah. in the nightlife. But I think, I think the fetish club scene is a very good example of that. It's obviously a sex positive space. All it is is, you're allowed to do whatever you want as long as you're consenting with the other person. Like, it's it's such a simple thing, really. Do you want to do this thing? Does the other person want to do this thing? Yeah, you both want to do that thing. Cool, do it. It doesn't... I, I think that's the, the thing, that, like you said, that people have this idea that it's like... It makes it vanilla or whatever, which actually shows you how toxic our culture is, that we think that the word consent suddenly means that sex has to stop. It shows you that it's all skewed in entirely the wrong direction. Like, you can do, as I say, whatever you want as long as you're consenting adults. And you can also make, like, consent doesn't have to be, like, really dry, like, do you consent to this thing? Yes, I consent to this thing. You can still just, like, you, you can say those words, but you can also do it in sexy ways. You can just, just keep talking as well, because, as well, I think you might mention it later on, that Fry's model, that... Also, it's really important and something that I think I didn't used to kind of take on board for my own self was like, I'd maybe like, especially like when I first started, because I came out later as a gay man. So I kind of learned about being gay. I didn't really have gay friends. It's like, oh, actually, I'm not really into this, but is this what you have to kind of do? Okay. Oh, okay. Like, not quite sure. I kind of changed my mind, but like, I'm going to keep doing it then. And like, it really fucks you up. And then afterwards, it's like, I'm kind of blaming the other person. But then I also didn't actually, it wasn't like I said to them, oh, I'm not into this. I just didn't voice it because I didn't think I was allowed to, like mm. revoke consent. Mm. So I think there's those kind of like nuanced things are really important. That Just because at the start, you gave consent at any point, you can remove consent if you are no longer comfortable doing an action. Or like, if you're if you give consent to be kissed, it doesn't mean that you feel consent to have your genitals played with or give consent to 
those different things. So just that, I mean, you can probably explain the prize model. Um, or fr- we'll take this moment to explain the Sorry. prize model. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Stop no, no, no. I'm, super, I'm super, super glad that you, uh, you mentioned it. So basically the fries model, which is very Googleable listeners, is um, freely, it's basically a model for consent where the um, kind of qualifications for consent is that it's freely given. So doing something sexual with someone is a decision that should be made without pressure, force, manipulation, or while drunk or high. It's reversible. So like Stephen said, you can revoke consent at any time. Anyone can change their mind about doing anything at any time, even if you've done it before or in the middle of it, you know? Uh, informed, so being honest. If someone says they'll use a condom, for instance, and then they don't, that's not consent, uh, for example. Enthusiastic, if someone is not excited or really into it, and it is, I mean, and this this one can be a little bit tricky because a lot of us who have trauma disassociate, so it's very difficult to be enthusiastic, but that's kind of a, pay attention (laughs) to your partner. Um, And specific, so saying yes to one thing, as again, Stephen mentioned, like going to the bedroom to make out, it doesn't mean you've said yes to other things like penetrative sex. Um, and I guess the question from there is like within dance music, which is not necessarily a giant sex club, but definitely, you know, we're coming up against more and more alleged sexual assault within dance spaces. And I don't think that's because it hasn't been happening this whole time. I think it's because now people are kind of brave enough to speak truth to power. Is that like, what would consent culture look like within our community? Uh, I don't know about how to answer this specific question, but just to slightly ju- go back to what you were saying before about like how um, how anti-rep culture is seen as sex negativity. I think the, the, the first thing that came to mind when when, when you said this is, is uh, this saying that says, uh, if someone gets bothered by your, you putting boundaries, it's because they were the first one to benefit from you not having boundaries in the first place. So I think it's a scapegoat. It's an easy way to like, to, to, to blaming this on sex negativity is just a way to deflect the responsibility and not, and not, like the whole like, oh, we can't flirt anymore, or we can't do this anymore. Yes, of course you can flirt. Of course you can actually end up to getting into what you want to happen if it's getting someone's pants, if that person wants you to get in their pants. So this whole like sex negativity versus versus entire culture. This is not real. It's for me. It's a, it's a fake bubble made to deflect the the this thing once again. That if someone's bothered by you putting boundaries, is because they were the one that benefited from you not having one in the first place. Yeah, I always say I'm like it's this, it's the thing. It's like if I don't want to have a um some food right now, doesn't mean that I'm never gonna have food ever again. Or if I don't say yes to that cup of tea right now, doesn't mean I don't love cu- uh, having a cup of tea and I'm not gonna have one later. Or you know maybe half a cup of tea or a herbal tea or something different here than the everywhere. It's just it feels so ridiculous to say that one equates to the other. That anti-rape culture equates to sex ne- negativity. Anti-rape culture is anti-rape culture. It's like, you, you need to give consent. That's it. That's all it equates to. And if anything, anti-rape culture, I would say it's pro-sex because it means sex is better if everyone's enjoying and wants it. So the whole point of saying no rape is so that we all can all have a happy, fulfilling self-sex life. So it's, it's, for me, it's, it's just complete scapegoat. It, it's, it's, it's not even real. It's, this is not the issue. This is like deflecting the debate. Absolutely. And so to go back to your question, what can we do within our community? Well, I'm going to give it to one of my other friends, oh. panelists, to answer this one. Well, I, I guess as well, it's going back to some of the things like Rebecca was saying, like about putting up posters, making making it um, obvious 
what is expected of you in this space. Because to be honest as well, especially when I, I've started going to gay spaces and I went them, to them on my own because like I wasn't sure if I was and I didn't know anyone and I'd changed cities and all these things. Like, just like, and I'm a bit older. So it's like, just going back, it's like, if that's what the social norms are, you just think that, okay, well, this is what it is and I kind of have to go along with it. I think part of the, the thing is, as well as people speaking their truth, is actually people realizing that some of the things that happened to them weren't acceptable. Like, I definitely went back and went, oh. So I guess, like, when you go to a club and there's just random guys putting their hands down the back of your pants or the front of your pants in a, in a queer club when it's all sweaty, isn't cool. <laughs> like, like, things like that were, but, like, I was, it sounds stupid to say it now, but, like, 15 years ago when I first went to the gay scene, it's like, oh, so that's what happens to you in these spaces. That's what gay culture is. And I didn't have any frame of reference to know that that, like, I, 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 I feel stupid saying it myself, but, like, in, I grew up in the straight kind of scene, as it were. So, like, that had really established boundaries. And I knew, like, like I knew that, like, men don't just go and grab women. But then, because I'd just never seen it, it's like, oh, fuck. Like, the certain, like, until I went to fetish clubs, I think, which I'd been to as a straight... Is it woman? I mean, I guess I was never strict. That's a whole different panel. Um, <laughs> but like, like they were really clearer spaces as to like, and I felt safer in them. So I actually went a lot of times more to like, like queer, like like sex spaces, as it were, and got groped less than I did in like normal gay bars, which seemed like so crazy. And it was like almost going to a place where. As I, as, I, as I said, where you knew that sex was going to happen, that the boundaries were way more established, made it much safer. And, and that's, to me, how I juxtapose, like, how in normal, like, how's, like, non-fetish non, non, um, clubs, I guess, like, spaces, it's actually often a lot more dangerous than it is in the, in the sex spaces because there's a house rules there is consent, there are help monitors, there are all those things in place. And then from being, when you, it's a bit like, uh, I don't know, when you've seen the thing, like you can't unsee it, so you go back into the other spaces and go, oh fuck, why isn't there a moderator? Why isn't there rules? Why isn't that space? Like like one of those, like, like I don't know, five, there's five guys, going around some girl and this happened to some of my girl mates where like say one of the guys just grabbed them on the arse which would never just happen in a fetish space and then the girl turns around and there's five guys looking at her and she doesn't know which one either to kind of call out it's like there's all these horrible things that that don't happen because we we, we fail to recognize that that sexual harassment and stuff happens in those spaces so I think that it's a very long-winded answer that I've given um, because I've just resolved some trauma at the same time as I've given my answer. But I think just making it overtly, of, of the rules overt and having those moderators and having the safe spaces and just implementing all those little things, and they're not hard to do, things that we've suggested so far in this discussion will all lead to a consent culture. And then it normalises as well that consent is the culture. And then once it's normalized, it's really easy to go from there because 
is like you know people can when you know that there's a problem it's easier to call it out like i think we're more nuanced in the world about things like systemic racism we're more nuanced about misogyny we're more nuanced about so because we know that there are problems we can call them out so i think having things like this and having these debates in larger media forums so not just in safe spaces but everywhere so everybody knows there's no um plausible deniability that you didn't know so i think just being very overt with the rules even if it's like has to swing a bit more into it's over the top for a bit just so people's boundaries really are assessed Mm. i think is important like the seismic change that happened i'm going to mute myself because i will just keep talking Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to, to add to that. Um, like, I think, you know, we're talking about nightlife right now and club culture and like the problem here, but I think it's just the wider society problem that rape culture is prevalent everywhere. And it's kind of almost encouraged a bit by the media, by like TV, film, advertising, where you see a lot of people having non consensual like kisses or ex- like sexual experiences in movies or on TV or in adverts. And it's like, I think we need to change the whole way that society works around this thing for it to actually affect our industry because it is a massive problem everywhere. I think it's guess it's just being part of like a white supremacist, like patriarchal society, like that these things are happening and it's just been carried on and we need to break the cycle. And I think one way we can do that is like education. I think educating people when they're in school, you know, about what consent is, you know, about learning how the power of saying no and that no is a complete sentence. So you can, you know, revoke that at any time. And I think we've just got to do that. We've got to go to, go to schools, colleges, universities and educate young people around these things. And that's how we're going to see a change, not just within our industry, but within the wider society. And I think it's something that we need to start doing. Yeah, I agree as well. And um, further to that, it's about... Um, trusting the autonomy of someone has over their own body at any age. So there's something about sort of parenting as well that comes into that when a child perhaps, you know, doesn't want to go and hug Nan over there and mummy says, no, go, you have to, you have to go and hug all your relatives or let, let all your relatives hug you and they don't want to, or perhaps you want to go over there to the child for comfort or you want to hug them, but they're, actively pushing you away and don't want that and you're forcing that on them as well at times it's learning to know um learning to implement that consent culture from a young age when they don't necessarily understand what consent is but they can feel that they don't want to be touched at that point and actually respecting the boundaries that they're setting um for themselves at young ages as well i I think that's really 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 important like because it sets up these schematic things that, and like I come from the generation of all this bad parent, of all that, like I went to a Christian school, so there's no sex ed, like all these things. So like, like I am a product of all that different types of learning because it's just like, it does, it, it, it sets it up in your head like, oh, well, I've got to kind of people please. I've got to, like you say, you, you don't have autonomy. And even if you, you don't realize that where that comes from, it all comes back, you know, it's like where misogyny is ingrained about boys don't cry and things and how that leads later on to men not showing emotions, like parenting, schooling, education, it needs to start from day dot. And, you know, boys not feeling like 
entitled to do stuff like you know like like um girls being taught well oh no he likes you that's why he's punching you in the arm okay so if a guy hits me it kind of oddly crystallizes that thought like yeah like oh well if a guy's bad to me that means that he likes me like that's a really dangerous seed to kind of implant i think we're getting much better as a as a society on tv and things like that but like it's got so much to go and you, there's a lot of mixed messaging because like i i think like like some of these things are like um like these parenting styles are debated on tv where it shouldn't be a debate it's just like it's very obvious from all psychological research it's just it's logical as well like what Satal's saying like it takes away boundaries and then you've got like intergenerations going oh don't be silly of course you can give your granny cuddle or like so it's all these kind of mixed messages on the kid and it's it's, it's uh makes them confused and i don't muting myself again <laughs> i just want to jump in and go back to the industry and ask a couple of our artists about what the industry might do to foster a culture of consent rebecca would you mind speaking to that a little bit um i think from what I'm learning, it's about we need to see where our community is at first and foremost. So, you know, from from the, the alleged abuse cases that have come out, it's like we, we, it's really divided. So you've got the one side, which is like still upholding the behavior. Then you've got another half or maybe less than half. I still don't think we're quite there yet. Um, that really is against it. So it's assessing the community, how willing are they to make the changes, how much do they want to change? And then really pulling it into community, like we are a community and yeah, we can look at the whole picture of like society needs to change, but what have we actually got power to change? And I think we, in this case, we have got influence just within our scene. And, you know, there's like the film industries taking their responsibility and, you know, different sectors are taking responsibility. So I think we can, we can really hone in and maybe we're just starting with the techno scene right now and I would love it to grow out and you know we get lots of house ambassadors and drum and bass ambassadors because it's definitely needed but I think realistically if we can show that we can do some work in the techno field where we have got power um with the you know having the clause in the contract and um, putting a little bit of pressure on the festivals to get better security get better training and then as a whole community, we become better at bystanders. So understanding why people don't intervene and why they don't feel qualified, educating them, um, which is which is probably where I'm at right now with the campaign. It's like, how do you manage to educate a community which is all around the world? And, um, you know, people, like we do have a captive audience on social media. So I think it's, you know, we can do stuff via social media to make an impact. Um, it's just like, how? And that's my next question. It's like, how can we educate everybody before we open up the clubs again? And this is really important because once the clubs are open, it's like back to business. Everyone's just, you know, booking and playing and, and we're going to lose our audience. So I think now is really important that we act, really. Absolutely, Perry. Uh, no, I would. I, I wanted to... I'm always a little late on the train. I was thinking about something uh, from earlier just because I think something um, that was said that was really important is, and I think is important is that we make it clear that rape culture is not just a heterosexual 
men, cis men over cis women issue, because you were talking about the, 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 the gay scene where you first was introduced and realized, oh, hold on, it's not okay to be touched. I think it's really, really important because I think when we talk about rape culture, people naturally associate it with this as a straight issue, which is not the case. And we need in what we can do and as a community to, to, to make a change, we can look at it, look at ourselves and not think just, oh, because right now from the beginning of the conversation, we, we keep on saying we should use methods from the queer spaces and from the fetish spaces as if we're better than. And of course we have moved forward a lot on a lot of issues because we didn't have to comply to a bunch of sex norms so that society had put on, on, on queer people as much as on straight people. But still, like when we go back to, for example, the there's the Alexander Wang uh, scandal that has, uh, so we're within gay community and there's still people drugging other people to get sexual favor. So I think one of the things is to never, to keep on second guessing ourselves, not just come from a self-righteous position of like, oh, we as queer people know better there's a few things we might have uh, thought of before, but we still need to make sure that we keep in mind that it's a uh, with all all communities are touched uh, with this issue. Absolutely. Um, speaking of which, like so, in in terms of that, a couple amazing ideas were mentioned by by on the kind of industry side, but for specifically like event planners and promoters like Stephen and Lewis, I know that you guys both had some really amazing insight on that. But what are ways that the kind of on the planning and promoting side that we can help foster a culture of consent? Um, I think, you know, we touched on a lot of the main issues. And I think it is like working closely with venues on a one-to-one -one basis um, and getting people in there who aren't necessarily security per se, but more people who are deal, who are dealt with like people's mental well-being um, or just even good listeners and have experience and are like educated in, around these things to be the, an extra pair of eyes on the dance floor and just look after the crowd and just so people feel safer and know there's something wrong these people are here to address it and i think going back to more more posters um these can be distributed on social media as well and like all the artists involved can be sharing these on their social media and the build-up to events and i think we just need to get together like how do you know i think it was rebecca was saying what the next step is how and it's like how do we get a worldwide industry together like obviously this is great now because we're connecting from like all over Europe, I guess, right now. But then it's like, how do we connect elsewhere from Asia and the States? And like, how do we sit there with all of the club owners and all of the big artists and promoters and managers? And how do we get everybody together in one space and, and go through it? Is there a way we can do this? Is Does the industry even want to change that much? Like, how, how, we, how do we move forward? I think that's the most important thing. Well, I think, I think just in addition to that, one of the things that... that that we did because of working with Harpies, which is a, um, Lewis, how would you describe Harpies properly? Harpies is the UK's first ever LGBTQ strip club. <laughs> yeah. So, so he, she, they did an event with, with, um, with Harpies and we made sure, especially because like you can tape and there's the stripping and things that like every single person got read the house rules to them actively, like on the door. So, I think that was a really important thing just because then again, can't be, oh, I didn't realise it was posted. It's like you've actively been told before you've hit the club what the kind of, like, you know, there are no touching of the strippers. There are no this, there are no that. And it's it's really, it's just crystallising everything for those. And I think it's interesting because we're, as a promoter, we, we've 
done parties in about 10 different countries from like Norway to India to New York. It's like every, every overarching culture is different. Like, like Indian society is very different to New York. Like doing an event in London is different to doing it in Newcastle, which is kind of an industrial town. So like the understanding and nuance of where, where things are is different cross-culturally as well. So it's like, I think that one of the things that is a uniforming thing you know, is that a lot of DJs on the international circuit, like Re Rebecca, Louise, or Brain, like you're all like Lewis, you're all going play in different countries. So if all ev everybody has the riders and all the agents have the riders that does the posters and these different rules, then that's a really quick way of injecting that same cultural norm everywhere within that space. And then, like, I totally agree. It is totally from a white patriarchal um, society that a lot of these things cascade down. But I also agree with Rebecca's um, viewpoint that, well, then you can only change the bit of the pie that you've got. And then, like, hopefully, if we're changing this and someone else changes that and someone else changes that, that you start to, like, eke out um, kind of a proper change. But, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's such a... There's no one... Thing. it's just a collection of all these different things to combat all the all the different problems and we need to take a multidisciplinary approach like the agent needs to take responsibility the dj does the bartender does the promoter does the, the security stuff do the people who are going to the club as well can't be passive in that process of looking out for each other just because you've gone to the space doesn't mean that everyone needs to solely protect you you need to protect other people as well it's a community. We always bang on that we're the dance music community. The fucking we should act like a community. And I also think like with social media as well, one of the things we do is we'll, as well as posting like club flyers and DJ sets, we'll, we'll post like um, anti-racist messaging or sex positive messaging or consent culture messaging on our social media so that like, you know, just if people are following it, it just, it ekes into them that these are the rules and the standards and the vibes of our community and what we expect in the club and like you know it's not about because uh, 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 the alleged sexual assault and it was interesting not to name names of like but the, the obviously very well famous DJs that have been accused of rape and stuff like the amount of blaming of the victim from our scene was absolutely vile like oh, well, why did you go back to that person's house? Or it's, you know, it's the same thing, like, oh, we shouldn't wear that skirt because it might send the wrong message. It's it's never, and it's showed it in our scene as well. The onus was blamed on the victim for to be safe rather than just to tell people, like, stop raping people. <laughs> like, that's the problem. That's where you need to send the message. And you aren't entitled to have, like, will over someone else's body unless they give you consent. And also and, nobody's taking responsibility. It's being shifted and passed and, and yeah. there's, no, there's no closure in that. I just want to jump to Tithal and ask you what ways do you think that fans and consumers can sort of participate in that? I think it's exactly what, um, was, what um, Stephen was just saying about community. It's about us looking after each other and accountability that, you know, the, the, that story that you was, um, that you, um, that you were recalling Stephen about you know perhaps uh someone's bum was touched and they turn around and there's a few people there and 
they don't know who it was, right? But then even if they did know who it was, think of how intimidating that might be if you want to um, call that out. But if you were to turn around and say, that just happened, and even if it were to be a stranger and someone say, yeah, no, that's not okay. And someone else saying, that's not okay. And someone else saying, that's not okay. Then actually you've got strength in numbers there. You actually got, you've got a community there to back you up to say, that that behavior is not okay and this is why and it also part what just kind of prompted my mind as well and was that it needs to come from a place of kind of non-judgment as well because we are living in a system where actually these behaviors are sometimes learned and and perhaps you know it's it's up to us to take responsibility and accountability to perhaps educate and and inform people other people that these sorts of behaviors are wrong for this 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 and this reason not necessarily sort of then um go jump straight to punitive measures um unless necessary i think there's obviously boundaries around that but i think the first point of call is calling it out and having that conversation as to why it's wrong rather than just saying stop doing that it's you shouldn't do that because of X, Y, and Z. This is the consent culture. This is what consent means. Um, that's why I've called it out. So it's about kind of having more than just a five-word five conver uh, conversation. I think that's that's the main thing that comes to mind. I see Perrine has her hand up. Yeah, <laughs> because I've been thinking about to the question of what can uh, the, the the consumers or the dance community, like the dancers and the clubs could be doing. I just listening to all of you, I had an idea. It could also be uh, that, for example, uh, you come up, because I heard you, Stephen, say that people kind of should get into the club door, get read, read the, the, the rules. It could also be something where if you come up and you show that you've shared a consent graphic on, in, on Instagram or whatever, you get a discount at the door so that you make sure that people share it. It doesn't end up just entering being shared into the echo chamber because we have to also think about the old echo chamber issue which is that people who are uh sensible sensitive to the rep culture issue are the one who already know about it but the whole point is to is to educate people who are removed from from those topics and removed from this education so if someone who normally wouldn't share those topics because they don't care they don't think it's that important but suddenly have an incentive which is oh maybe i'll have five bucks less on my entrance fine sure i'll share it then it ends up en en ending the message ends up ending in a more far-reaching uh, uh area and that would mean the, the 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 audience is forced to do it or of course is enticed heavily to do it and the promoters take this their responsibility because obviously that means less money in the promoter and the club pocket but they were like okay fine we'll support this and i think this could be an idea of how um, you know we could be implemented one more on top of the posters and the text tech writers and everything i think it's a really interesting idea yeah completely and we're just coming to the end of the hour so i want to be mindful of our time here today Damn! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can go on for a lot we'll have to reconvene but um we talked about some really challenging stuff today and thank you all for being here. What do some of you feel like is your hope for future in this area? Would you mind sharing a bit about that? No raping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How can we keep this state of sex positive without kind of deeming sex in, in amongst this as well? 
I mean, because I know Rebecca touched on the, um, the campaign that she's working on at the moment. I would love to know more about that. Yeah, I mean, the the campaign, we're hoping to implement a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today um, and really use the, the press channels to get it out there to the mainstream. I'm in talks with a film company because I would really like to do like a short film about sexual harassment, like an educational uh, film. And maybe we can show what the victim goes through to create some empathy because I think we don't have empathy right now. Um, and then maybe what bystanding actually looks like. So like from a visual point of view, I can, I, I can see it. Um, and yeah, I think having ambassadors in different territories is really important. So we can get ambassadors that work with like maybe a big venue or a big club in a certain country. Then hopefully it will just like spread out to the other clubs in those regions and we can start attacking different territories um, to implement all of this stuff. And that's how I kind of envision it at the moment. And I, I'm just, I'm open to learn more about this issue that we're having and like all of the, you know, taking on board everything that you were, you were saying. If anyone's got good ideas, send them my way because we can like, we can really work with them and work with you. And like, that's how I think we will get change, to be honest. Um, if somebody wants to sign the, the pledge or kind of become a part or an ambassador, can you give us the the website yeah it's um, me too dash music.com uh, all the information about the campaign is up there we've got testimonials so um yeah it can trigger people that have obviously had trauma so the stories are pretty brutal but it's a really to show all the different kinds of you know sexism and uh, harassment and assault and up to rape as well so this stuff is happening it's it will happen it will continue um but you know, we have a really good opportunity to kind of at least make it happen less. That's what I'm hoping awesome. right now. Where yeah. can people find you on, are you on Instagram with that as well? Yeah, we have metoo.music. Uh, we have an Instagram page and we have a Facebook page as well and a Twitter <laughs> as well. Um, but anyone that wants to share any testimonials, um, it just comes directly to myself. I'm the only person that reads it. So it's completely anonymous. If anyone feels like they want to reach out and share any stories, um, you know, I'm a survivor as well. So, you know, it's, I know how hard it can be to make the first step. Um, but, you know, as the campaign, we, we're on the side of the victims and uh, yeah. Great work. Anybody else want to share some ideas? I, I, was, I was just going to say, like, it's important that bystander culture doesn't just either apply to being in a club and not acting when you see something happen. It's even this. It's not just thinking, oh, well, Rebecca's doing it, so somebody else is doing it. We don't need to take our onus on ourselves. It's like me as a club promoter, I'm constantly learning. Me as a, as a man, I'm constantly learning, uh, like, all the time. Um on every single aspect of my life. So like, like, as I say, I learned a lot from Lewis and like, I, I mean, and I, I've learned things from Louise. I've learned things from everyone, but like, I think Rebecca spearheading it is amazing, but it can't work just by Rebecca spearheading it alone. It takes the DJs, the promoters, the people in the audience, the clubs, all of us. We also need to go in like, 
adopt it, and especially for Rebecca, it's making it fucking easy for us because we can adopt posters and stuff. We're just being lazy or complicit if we don't put those things in action. So, like, well done, Rebecca. Thanks to everybody to join in, and I've learned again. I've learned more from this one. I'm learning so much as well. So, yeah, it's a scary conversation to have. I think like reluctantly being part of like enthusiastically wanting to be part of the conversation but also there being a noticing my own sort of reluctance going into these conversations as well because it is a learning space and we're all figuring it out and nobody the boundaries are still being defined so it's taking a lot of listening and the learning and I don't know if that's ever going to stop but at least the conversation's starting right which I think is is an important thing to remember which is because we haven't talked about all the whole cancel culture situation, but if I'm just going to say one thing is that I do very much believe in the in the power of the call out culture, but I really also do believe that if the whole point is for people to be educated, then we should also talk to people first before calling them out, like giving them the space to learn. Because canceling, then it just it just creates a, 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 an atmosphere of fear that makes people not want to talk about it. When the whole point is that we need to talk about it, so it's to say, okay, I'm gonna directly contact someone about a problem, and if they respond, then great. That means we're we're here to make them grow. If they don't, or if they respond negatively, then sure, let's let's go and call them out. But let's remember that it's it's a, it's a educational space for growth which means we all get better which means like i'm better than my past self from a year ago from 10 years ago and but that means if i had been canceled 10 years ago five years ago for whatever thing i said i would never be at the point i'm in right now and so we all need to and i know it's obviously uh easier to say as a non-survivor than a survivor you know to be like bitch i don't want to give too many second chances but i but but the whole point is that we need to bring everyone up into getting into spaces where where those topics are undeniable and and understood and that means you know not, that doesn't mean you know agreeing for anyone because they posted a shitty note app you know uh, sorry sorry message on instagram but asking more than that but like to, to to remember that the whole point is to educate people so that we do better yeah yes absolutely I think my, I'm just going back to the kind of hopes of, of what, what I would want in this or what I would envision is more abstract in a way that, you know, people can express themselves freely and safely because this is all our ways of wanting to express ourselves through um, these experiences and, yeah, creating spaces where we can do that without... Um, you know, looking over our shoulder or, or entering into sort of a hypervigilant state, um, which just completely diminishes that expression. Um, so, yeah, that's what, what I would want and want to see. Because it, it all circles back to consent. Like, wearing a short skirt or having your bum out is not consent. Like, dancing no. provocatively, unless you're seeing it, is like, giving consent is not consent. Like, just being there is not consent like all these different things that's what we all come back to you can do whatever you want as long as it's consent like so it's just hammering that message nobody is complicit walking taking like the non-lit way back through the park is not consent like Mm -mm. going back to someone's house is not consent being drunk is not consent kind of like saying that you were interested 
but then actually not giving consent is still not consent. Removing consent is not consent. It just all arcs back onto that. And if we can get to that point where we just, <laughs> like, no is, as you say, is a full sentence, and, and yes is yes, and, like, anything other than a, what you call it, than a enthusiastic... Hard yes. Yeah, is, is a no. It'd be such a nicer place to live. Lewis, <laughs> you're leaning really forward simple. like you have something to say. <laughs> No, I'm just just um, listening in. <laughs> he's just trying to shut me up. He's just like, he's going to call me in and be like, brains, you don't half like the sound of your own voice. It's nice that you like consent, that. but I didn't consent to hear you talk that much. <laughs> but to, to, on a kind of more serious note, I think that like normalizing in our own lives and actually practicing this idea of like, may I touch you? <laughs> Even to like the dog, the child, the man, like, you're the person that you share a home with, you know, like, I think that some of this stuff does take practice. And one of the beautiful things that kind of Rebecca pointed out about this moment is that we have the opportunity to pause and we have the opportunity to give people literally two meters of body autonomy, <laughs> you know, in terms of like refreshing the idea of what it looks like to give active consent and to ask, ask explicitly for it, you know, cause I think that some of that stuff, like for me is totally not second nature. But for instance, like I did a, a, a rope class a couple of weeks ago and, so, and I was asked like, may I touch you before somebody put their hand on my wrist? And it was amazing. It was like, wow, that feels so safe and so different than having like, you know, unconsensual touch, even if it's casual, like what a thing. And so, you know, and you know what? COVID and this global pandemic has taught us how quickly we can change our behaviors in doing that because people are asking oh is it okay like how are you in terms of um social contact right now are, are we are we going in for a hug or not do you know what i mean do, are we doing a handshake or not um so and that's happened in a year yeah. so actually it's there's it's not it, it, it's thinking about oh we can't change how we're going to behave it's in it's ingrained it's it's kind of already in the system well we've done a hell of a lot in a year in terms of our social behaviors so why can't it be applied to this um this because i'm i'm a hugger I like and it's one of those things where i've definitely learned because my first instinct like geordie boy oh come give us a hug like oh da, 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 da. it's like Same. Ac actually to a lot of people, like, you know, they're like, kind of like, oh, and you don't, you don't realize it. And I'm like, you know, El, uh, what's it called? Elmira from Tiny Toons, like, and fucking squeeze, like, I think like the more I squeeze you, the more I show I love you and you feel safe. Well, actually for a lot of people, it's like, the opposite. will that big chubby white man just stop touching me? So like, <laughs> like even, even stuff, it's about intention. Like I was saying before, even though my intention is nice, doesn't always mean that it's well received or even just like playing team sports like all my like straight mates just to kind of show that they're cool with me being queer will go and slap me on the arse and like to me it doesn't bother us but like I totally now get from these conversations why it would really be triggering to someone else or just like off button like and it's, it's just these kind of things that we've been taught like that's the social norm of and like oh no I'm showing you for acceptance and that's therefore I've taken it as that because of my previous learning. And like, also that's just in the West. Like we're completely yeah. dividing a whole culture around parts of what that means culturally to different, um, you know, 
across the world. We're just saying, oh, well, in France, we do this bazooka. I'm thrilled no one's kissing me constantly. You <laughs> three kisses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So it's like, it's intergenerational, it's cross-cultural, it's religious. There's a lot of intersectional kind of barriers, like work, classism, like all these different things. So, um, which I mean is, is way more beyond the scope. That's one minute that we have for this. But like, <laughs> like, like I think, I think Sital's point is really eloquent and much more eloquent than my points have been today. But like, just, we can all just take stock and look at our own behaviours. Like I have had to learn like so much about just like, but I'm nice for doing these things. It's like, okay, like, you being nice and, and your what you've been taught as a kid doesn't necessarily mean that it was taught well, even though your intentions. So, yeah. We need to focus on ourselves. Expect me not to hug you the next time I see you. Unless I, I have. Good. <laughs> <laughs> just as we wrap up, we just want to finish with a bit of a, a quick old lightning round. So, first of all, just very, very quickly, what is your most positive clubbing memory that immediately comes to mind? Uh, I mean, it's going to sound hippie as fuck, but for me, is that feeling of uh, everyone's family, that feeling of being being in a space with only strangers. And so it's not like a specific, I know you want an anecdote, you're not going to get one anecdote, because for me, it's the general feeling of walking into a space full of strangers and feeling like a home with family. That's, that's the most important and best feeling of um, the club culture for me. Beautiful. Louis, a song that makes you feel empowered and joyful um <laughs> oh my god the pressure um mine would have to be the manny d remix of realness it's perfection <laughs> it is literally perfection it just reminds me so much of my community and protesting with all my trans siblings so fabulous and rebecca first thing you want to do when we can safely gather again um, I think, yeah, dance, mm. really dance. Like maybe go and see A and D play. Mm. Yeah, no. like have a real rave. Probably. probably in Holland, probably somewhere in Holland, of course. <laughs> but yeah. Amazing. Louisa, <laughs> what is your favourite club to play in the world? I don't know what clubs will still be around after the end of this pandemic, but I'll, I'll speak in terms of like the, the dream was the last gig that was like canceled or one of them prior to kind of everything closing was it was supposed to be myself and Lewis and our friend uh, Joey Waxwings in, in a he she they party in room two in fabric and this was like, it was going to be on my sober birthday. <laughs> It was going to be the night to end all night. So I would say this this imaginary <laughs> this imaginary gig would have been my favorite club to play in the world. Fabulous. And Sita, what are you looking most forward to when the club's open again? Oh, feeling the heavy bass ripple through my body and feel myself respond to that and just feel that same connectivity that everyone else is feeling as well, just standing in front. Of that and then being kind of deaf for two days. <laughs> you were hearing goals. Stephen, what is your, um, tell me about a pre-event ritual that you love to get involved in. Being really, really anxious to the point that I don't want to leave the house and then <laughs> taking a massive antihistamine so then I can like face other people. 
because I talk out of nervousness, so I'm, you can tell I'm very nervous. Oh. Um, but 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 no, it's just uh, I, I'm the I'm, I, I'm the worst. <laughs> it's the worst question you could have asked me. I just get really <laughs> I just get really anxious. I think no one's gonna turn up like it's your birthday party. It's then. not your party. What if you're just going out? Yeah, take it. Take oh. the person, man. <laughs> oh God, being getting all my ridiculous kind of campness and playing like all the songs that you put, you know you're not gonna hear at the club. Like I'll go listen to like Kate Bush or I'll sing like Björk, and it's like. You never need to hear a Geordie sing like Bjork. <laughs> that needs to be contained in a house away from people and then I'm ready to go out. But um, yeah, just be, just be silly, to be fair, with my, with my friends and loved ones. That. Right. <laughs> I've just got, I've just got the, 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 the vocals in my head. It's all so quiet. Oh. <laughs> it's all I'm hearing now. Which is the weirdest, it's the weirdest before, like, all my friends are, like, start putting up a mixtape before getting up, getting all riled up, and you're like, it's all so quiet, and that's how you pump yourself up, it's amazing. I got, I got into Bjork when my voice was breaking through puberty, so you had me already trying to be like, but with my actual voice already going, it's like, it was... I mean, only dogs and whales could have heard me. It was two, like, different frequencies <laughs> Bizarre, bizarre. <laughs> what a perfect note to end on. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for the presence and integrity that you brought to this conversation. We really, really, really appreciate it.